Well, good morning, everyone. You can turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. As we continue to make our way through the prologue of John for our incarnation focus, we're going to look at verses 3 through 5 this morning, uh, but I will read the entire uh, prologue to set the context. The word, our creator. So we'll begin reading at verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we are thankful for the Son who is the Word, and we're thankful that he is the one who is eternal God, and he is the one who created this world. And we ask and pray as we come and consider that it is the Word who became flesh, and the Word who became flesh is the one who is the Creator. We ask and pray that you'd help us to recognize how insignificant we are. Help us to recognize that your ways are incomprehensible and we need you to reveal them to us. And so we're thankful for the word. We are thankful for the one who uh, fulfills all the law and the prophets. We're thankful that the one who redeems is the one who created us. And so we ask and pray as we come and consider these mysteries that we would be a people who recognizes that you are the creator and we are the creature a people who knows their place in the order of this world, a people who knows their place when it comes to the salvation of undeserving people, that we might magnify your name all the more. How wicked and awful sin is to trample on the created goodness, how wicked sin is to rebel against the one who made us, and truly how wicked sin is to reject the one who saves. The one who creates is the one who saves, and to reject him shows forth the wickedness of man. And yet we are thankful that you work by your spirit. The word works by the spirit to illumine hearts and minds. And so we're thankful for the salvation that has come in the light of the world. And we are thankful that you've worked in the hearts and lives of your people to give new hearts, to illumine minds. And we ask and pray that you would continue to illumine our minds today by your spirit 
as we come and worship you through the word. And we ask and pray if there are any here today who do not know you, please show them that they are in darkness. Please show them they are in sin. And we pray that you would shine in their hearts today, shine in their minds today, uh, the truth of who Christ is and where salvation and life lies. And we pray that you'd help us now by your spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as we've gone through the children's catechism with our kids, the first question is, who made you? And our kids are pretty good at saying God. And then the second question, which is as far as we've gotten with our son, is what else did God make? And he says, oh, things. And what he's trying to say is all things. Now, when we teach our children about the creator of this world, it is a good thing for us to remind them that they have been created and that there is one who has created them. It's something any good Christian father will teach their children, and it was something any good Jewish father would have taught their children as well. Here is the one God who creates all things. But for a Jewish father to come to verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1, it would have been shocking for him. It's easy to believe that the father is the one who created this world, the one who made all things in the space of six days, but it would have been shocking to hear that the word also is the one who made all things. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. This is truly something that is to be believed. There is one God. There is one God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see here that the person of the word is also the one who made all things. This is something we cannot comprehend. It is incomprehensible for us, yet it is something that must be believed. And remember, John has written, we see his main purpose in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John wants you to believe in the one in where salvation lies, but he also wants you to believe in who he is, believe in what he is, believe that he is the creator of all things, and also the one who has taken on a human nature to save his people from their sins. The word, verse 14, becomes flesh and dwells among his people. Now, the problem is really rejecting the creator, rejecting the one who is the light of the world. And certainly man, when Adam fell, when Adam brought sin into this world, what did he do? Well, he spat on the goodness of the creator. He sinned against the one who made all things. He tried to take his place and tried to be the creator rather than worship and serve the one who is that creator. And it's even more heinous that the one who creates is also the one who saves and we see further the wickedness of sin when this one who is the light is rejected by men. When this one who is uh, uh, altogether lovely and chief among 10,000, this one who gives life is the one that the darkness does not receive and the darkness does not comprehend. Sin makes man a lot of things, but one of them is blind and delusional. Here is the light. Here is the creator who is now making a new creation. Will you believe upon him? Will you look to him? Will you believe that he is, the word is God, and the word is the one who creates? That's what John is trying to instill in us uh, in this prologue, especially in verses 1 through 5. But verses 3 through 5, we see that John shows us that the word is the creator and the light who gives life. He is God, 
and he does things that only God can do. We've got, we're moving from the word in himself in verses 1 and 2, and now we're moving into the word in relation uh, to all things, or better yet, creation in relation to him. We're moving into his operations. So we see that the one, the word is God, and we see also now that the word is the one who creates as only God can do. And we'll look at this creator of the world, this, the word as the creator, under two headings this morning. First of all, we'll see the word who creates in verse 3. Then secondly, we'll see the word who shines in verses 4 and 5. So the word who creates, and then the word who shines. So let's first look at the word who creates in verse 3. Now again, the prologue is important. The context is important. We've seen the identity of the word. We've seen his existence. He is eternal. In the beginning was the word. We see his eternal and perfect life with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The word was with God. Then we see also his very essence. So we see his existence, and, now we, and we saw his essence. Very God, a very God. But now we transition into the operations. When we think of theology, really all things, all matter can be boiled down to God in all things, not God. We consider God in himself who he is, but then we consider God for us. And the way in which we see God for us is by creation and providence. We must remember God has perfect life in himself, which we will see, and he does not need anything. It was his good pleasure to create this world. It was his good pleasure to save sinners out of uh, our sins. It was his good pleasure to do all of these things. So we consider then God's work, the outworking of his decrees outside of himself. And when we consider God in himself, we recognize uh, the, the three persons and how they relate to one another. We see how the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. And so we can say that the Father is the one source of the Son. But we must recognize when it comes to the creation of the world, there is only one uncreated. And we see and recognize that the Father is creator, the Son is creator, and the Holy Spirit is creator. And so we can recognize that the one source of creation, the one source of the created order, is the triune God. The one who upholds all things is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we see that John is highlighting this. John, again, this would have been shocking for Jews who would read this. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. We see the continuation of John's alluding back to Genesis chapter 1. Again, the, the world was created. The world was made. Time was created. Time is a creature. And yet God is eternal. And the word is eternal. And the word is God, but the word also creates. He is the eternal God who creates. We further see the identity of the word as the one in whom all creation consists the one in whom all creation relates. We relate to God. God does not relate to us. He is God, but he creates as only God can. And we further see this Trinitarian distinction reflected uh, here for us. All things were made through him. The Father creates through the Word or the Son by the Holy Spirit. We see the eternal relations of origin are reflected even in this uh, triune work of God, the one created work of God. 
Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. He continues the point that the Word is uncreated. He is the Creator. Certainly we see in other places in the Bible that speak of the Word of God. Obviously, Genesis chapter 1, we see how the earth is formless and void, and God says, God speaks. The Word who creates, there is power in that Word as He creates, and He says, let there be light, and it was so. God is the only one who can speak and bring something about. God is the only one who can create. You and I cannot create like God because we are not God. I cannot say I want this and it happens or I want that and it occurs. That does not happen. Only God can do such things. Everything that we do, even when we're being creative by painting or doing whatever, it's still a copy. It's not creating the way that God can. But Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his power. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in its storehouses. We must recognize that he is the creator, and we must recognize he is the source of all things. Now, Paul unpacks this for us in Colossians chapter 1, which we saw, and there's a similar flow of argument that we see in Paul and in John. And John is alluding back to the old creation to highlight that the word is making a new creation. Old and new creation, those themes are vital and important in the scriptures. If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. And so in Colossians 1 verses 15 through 70, we see how he is Lord over all of creation. In him, all things consist. He is the one who has made all things. And then Paul transitions in verses 18 through 20 to deal with that new creation, the resurrection from the dead, the one who is Lord both over the old creation and the one who is Lord over the new creation. And so he is making this new creation because the old creation is going to pass away. And the point he is trying to highlight here is, again, the main thing is that the creator of the world is the redeemer of his people. The creator is the savior. He is the one that we need. The one whom we've sinned against, the one whom we've tried to take our place as creator, is the one who brings salvation for an undeserving people. He is the one who makes all things. All things were made through him. And without him, Nothing was made that was made. Again, John is emphasizing that he is uncreated. There was never a time when the sun was not. The sun has and is and always shall be. Not only was he in the beginning, but he is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the creator of the world and the sustainer of all things. We see this in Hebrews chapter 1, as God has spoken in these last days, the one who made the world and the one who sustains all things. But how do we reconcile that with the fact that the word becomes flesh? Well, as I said last time, we have to recognize that it is the word who takes on a human nature, who assumes a human nature, but he does not stop being God. He does not stop being the eternal sustainer of the world. As one writer says, the infant wails and is in heaven. The boy grows, but remains immeasurably God. The word in his divine nature cannot be measured. The word in his human nature has a certain height that he has because he is the one who is fully God and fully man. He 
as he, after the Son, assumes a human nature, he is the God-man. He doesn't stop being God, but he takes on a human nature. He doesn't relinquish any of his attributes. He doesn't relinquish any divine attributes. Again, he upholds all things, and yet he is the one, the, uh, the infant, who is wailing at his mother uh, as he, after he has come out as a child. It is a great mystery, isn't it? That there is this creator, this one who makes all, creation is a mystery for us, and yet it is the one who is the creator who assumes a human nature without, it doesn't stop being God. And so we can say in him, in God, in the son, uh, in the word, in him, we continue to live and move and have our being. Acts chapter 17, everyone continues to live and move and have their being in him. Their uh, temporal life is sustained by God, according to Acts chapter 17. Eternal life only comes through faith in Christ, but nonetheless, this one is the one who upholds all things. Christ, the word, is not created. Uh, we see that he is the one who is eternal and over all things. Nothing was made. This important creator-creature distinction. You are a creature, you have been made. God is the one who creates. You have to understand that. You have to grasp that. We have to know our place in this world that we have to recognize that he is God and we have been created for a specific purpose. That is the application. We see Christ, yes, is the fulfiller of prophecy. So that's the emphasis of the other three gospels. Certainly it comes up in John as well. But John wants us to see that he is the creator of all things. And as such, we ought to worship the creator who redeems us. We must know our place in this world. We must understand that this old creation is passing away. Darkness and sin has come because man did not know his place. Man wanted to be the creator rather than the creature. So what does man do? He worships and serves and exchanges the glory of God with a creature, Romans chapter one. And let's be honest, most people in this world do not un understand their place in it, even when it comes to hu uh, 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 human structures as well, especially young men. I always like to hit the young men. We don't seem to know our place uh, in this world. We don't know when to be quiet. We don't know when to just stop and listen. Uh, we just need to understand that there's an order. There's order amongst men. There's equality amongst men, but there's an order amongst men, and sometimes we need to know our place. And it shouldn't surprise us that men don't know their place because Adam tried to take his place over God. And you and I try to take our place over God as well, which we ought not to do. Man has denied the one who created them. Many times man tries to play God, and as such, the old creation is going to pass because man tried to play God. That's why a new creation is needed. That's why we need a redeemer and a savior to redeem a people for what purpose? To worship and honor and glorify him. And thankfully, in the ineffable mystery, the ineffable wisdom of God, we see the one who creates is the one who redeems. Uh, Matthew Henry says, this proves the excellency of the Christian religion, that the author and founder of it is the same that was the author and founder of the world. How excellent must that constitution needs be, which derives its institution from him who is the fountain of all excellency. When we worship Christ, we worship him to whom the patriarchs gave honor as the creator of the world and on whom all creatures depend. 
If you've been redeemed, brethren, you know the creator God through the one who redeems. And you've been created to worship and honor and glorify him and to enjoy our God forever. Really, it's a remarkable thing that the God who is not bound by time, eternal, is the one who makes time without being bound by it, and yet he enters into it. And he doesn't stop being eternal as he enters into that time when the Son takes on a human nature. That's why the hypostatic union is so vital, so glorious. That's why we see chapter 1, verse 14, as John is moving that way. Here is who God, uh, the Word is. Here is what he has done. And here is what he has done for us. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us, that we might worship the Creator who redeems. It's ineffable. It's indescribable. It requires revelation, doesn't it? It requires illumination. Man cannot know this by the light of nature. We need the word to come and speak to us. We need the word to come and specially reveal it to us, which is what exactly what the word does. So we see the word who creates, but we also see the word who shines. So we're moving in to verses four and five, our second point. The word who creates is also the word who shines, but he's still continuing in verses four and five as we Move to the second point. He's still considering the creator, but also comparing it and connecting it with eternal life and everlasting life and where that comes from. And so we see in verse 4, in him was life. Again, as we've seen, our life is derived. His is perfect. We need him to live. He does not need us to live because he has perfect life in himself. We see the flow of the argument, creation in general, to the creation of life itself, specifically and primarily humans. And as we consider this idea of life in John, uh, it does start with the perfect life that comes from God. Only God can have life in himself. John says this, or Jesus says this in John 5, 26. We see, for as the Father has life in himself, we, uh, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The Father has life in himself, and so does the Son have life in himself, and further highlights that only God can have life in himself, which teaches us that once again, the Son is God. It is only because there is life in the Logos, or the Word, that there is life in anything on earth. He has perfect life in himself, and then he makes all things, and in him we have life. So there is perfect life in God, and then there is derived life. And there's two ways we can take derived life. And the first is created life. Again, God made you. God formed Adam. Genesis 2 certainly is in view. Out of the dust of the earth, and what did he do? He breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. God made man body and soul and breathed into him the breath of life. So much so that when we die, what happens? Our souls go to be with God and our bodies to dust. But all our life again with Acts 17 is derived. The breath we breathe, the steps we take, this created life that we have is all founded and because of God. We are sustained by him. We are upheld by him. And certainly God's general revelation indicates that he has this eternal power, that he makes all things. But the general revelation does not save. That's why we need something else. That's why we need a redeemed life. There's created life, but the second derived life is this redeemed and everlasting life. And that is found throughout John. John uses the word life a lot. 
We saw a lot of life in 1 John 5. Uh, there's a lot of life in the Gospel of John as well. And what you, you could ask ourselves, what then is death? If we consider life and death, well, death is being separated from the one who is life. Death is being separated from the God. Death is being under his uh, wrath. Death is being against God rather than with God by faith. And so we, uh, there is redeemed life that comes for sinners. Those who are in darkness can see a great light and believe upon the one who is the light of the world. Our life is with him. He is the resurrection and the life, John 10. He is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. We see in John 3, 16, whoever believes on him shall have everlasting life. In John 5, as we've seen how he's had life in himself, our resurrected life is derived from him as the one who has life in himself because he goes on to talk about judgment and then resurrection, verse 29 of John 5. And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can myself do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He is the only one who has life in himself. And we saw in 1 John 5:11, there is life only in the Son. Believe upon his name and you shall have life in the Son. If you do not believe in the Son, you are dead. If you do not believe in the Son, you are in darkness. If you don't receive him, then you will die, as John says to the Pharisees, in your trespasses and sins and be in outer darkness forever. Why would you go to outer darkness? Why would you die when there is life? Why would you die when there is light? And that's exactly what John goes on to say. In him was life, and then verse 4, the latter part, and the life was the light of men. Continuing that creator-creature distinction. Again, Genesis 1 uh, is alluded to throughout this, but especially verses 1 through 3, where God does say, let there be light, and there was light, and it was so, and God called it good, and God divides between the darkness and the light. And we see him as this shining light. He is the light of men. And what, do, what does a light do? Well, light illumines Light also gives life, by the way. When one does not have light, uh, we look kind of dead, don't we? If we've been in a cave for a long period of time or we haven't come out of our house for a long period of time, we don't look so good. We need sun. We need light. We need warmth. You know, plants need warmth. Uh, we need something that gives life. And this one who is the light of men is the one who gives that very life. So there is this created aspect involved here, this shining, this illuminating this life that is given but also there is the idea that it uh, provides uh, was uh, with the Jews there was this eschatological hope this hope that as they were sent out into darkness that there was this light who would come that's why we read Isaiah 9 and we see that fulfilled with Jesus as he comes to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali as he dwells in Galilee the light has come the child of Isaiah 9 is the light who shines in the darkness because man is in darkness. And we need that light to expose. We need that light to expose sins, but also shine the way. Here is the path. Here is the way that one must go. It is in this one who is the light. If you have no light, you have no idea where you're going. If you have no light, you are in darkness and don't even see how delusional and how wicked one's sin actually is is. 
And it's not as though God did, uh, did, uh, didn't leave a witness, but the witness that he left with respect to general revelation does not save. It leaves man without excuse. And many of the writers connect this shining light with partly general revelation, partly the messianic promise, but then we see further and most importantly, the salvation that comes with Christ. Henry says, the world of mankind comprehended not the natural light that was in their understandings, but became vain in their imaginations concerning the eternal God. We see that in verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Or better, the darkness did not receive it. We see in verses, he's going to unpack this further, but in verses 11 and 12, as many who, uh, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Similar words. Christ shines in the darkness. The creator of the world has come. Life has come. Light has come. He shines in the place where there's darkness, and the darkness did not receive him. Matthew Henry goes on to say, the darkness of error and sin overpowered the quite uh, and quite eclipsed this light. God spoke once, yea, twice, but man perceived him not, but also refers to the messianic promise. The Jews who had the light of the Old Testament yet comprehended not Christ in it. As there was a veil upon Moses' face, so there was upon the people's hearts. In the darkness of the types and shadows, the light shone, but such is the darkness of their understandings that they could not see it. It was therefore requisite that Christ should come, both to rectify the errors of the Gentile world and to improve the truths of the Jewish church. He comes and he shines in the darkness. He is the one who's going to spread the light to the ends of the earth. Adam did not do that. He brought darkness. The Jews did not do that. Old Covenant Israel did not do that. But Christ is going to be the one who does that very thing. He's going to shine as a light. He is going to be that light of the world. He is going to be that one who shines the way to everlasting life, who shines the way to where hope and peace lies. And what does man do? Rejects. The darkness did not receive him. That is the enigma of enigmas, isn't it? The conundrum of conundrums. When you consider that here is the creator of the world, rejected. Here is the creator who is the savior of the world, rejected. How utterly wicked man is. How utterly vile and destitute man is. And the reason is man hates the light John's going to unpack that in chapter 3, 19 and 20. He says, this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, Jesus Christ, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, Jesus has come, but man hates God. There is the general revelation that man has rejected, and now man rejects the special revelation of God in Christ. It highlights how remarkable our deliverance is, isn't it? Ryle says, whatever deliverance from sin and spiritual death any child of Adam has ever enjoyed since the fall, whatever light of conscience or understanding anyone has obtained, all has flowed from Christ. The vast majority of mankind in every age have refused to know him, have forgotten the fall and their own need of a savior. The light has been constantly shining in darkness, the most have, uh, but most have not comprehended the light. But if any men and women out of this countless millions of mankind have ever had spiritual life and light, they have owed all to Christ. John is going to bear witness about this light. 
And as we see, John the Baptist is going to bear witness about this light, but John the Apostle is also going to record for us and has recorded for us the fact that we need a supernatural work in us to see the one who is the light. I mean, that's verses 11 and 12. They don't receive him, but verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Notice how one can believe, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. I'm going to say that again. Put this in your mind as you're thrown down with an Arminian. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We need a new heart. A new creation requires a new heart. A new creation requires a new body. And that can only come in one who makes a new creation. One who rises from the dead and the one who gives us all that we need. Christ is the creator of the old world, but Christ is also the maker of the new world as well and the new creation. And he is bringing a people in to be part of that new creation. New hearts, regeneration, we have that now, and the promise of a new body. That's what we long for in the resurrection, a new body, a resurrected body that goes with our changed and resurrected hearts. It is a supernatural work that God and only God can do because the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not receive him. And so what are we to do, brethren? We ought to hear him. Here's the word who speaks. Here's the word who shines as a light. We ought to hear him. Here's the one who gives life, who has spoken in these last days, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. That's exactly what the creator did when he spoke the world into being. He gave life. That's exactly what the savior does. He speaks life into the heart of his people. We need this one as dead sinners. We needed this one to make us alive. We need this one to breathe the breath of life into us through the blessed preaching of the gospel and with the word. We needed the illumination. We need the work by the spirit. We need the word of God to give life because it is a life that only he can give. And so brethren, as we make our way, as we're walking, as we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, let's be honest. Everything around us is darkness, right? That's why we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But we have a light that shines the way. Here's the path, and that's Christ. We are making our way to that celestial city. Christ is that way. And we fix our eyes upon the one who is the light as we make our way there. And as we're making our way there, we continually hear him, right? He's guiding us. He's helping us. He is correcting us. He has his rod and his staff that help us as we are sheep along the way. He is the one in whom we shall never thirst. He is the one in whom we shall never hunger. And he is the one who lights the way. Don't look into the valley. Don't turn this way or that. Here's the path. Look to Christ. Uh, We enter in by faith and we remain in by faith. We look to Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We always look to our Lord. And the most wonderful thing is our Lord is the one who created And our Lord is the one who redeems. We must recognize that he is the incomprehensible God. And we are thankful that he has revealed himself to us in the Son. J.C. Ryle says, I cannot close these notes on the opening verses of St. John's Gospel without expressing my deep sense of the utter inability of any human commentator to enter fully into the vast and sublime truths which the passage contains. I wholeheartedly agree. How do we explain this? 
I mean, how, how, what am I supposed to do every Sunday? Like, I know my job. I know what I'm supposed to do. But when you come and consider who God is, who Jesus is, and that he creates, uh, it is a great mystery. He says, I have labored to throw a little light on the passage and have not hesitated to exceed the average length of these notes on account of the immense importance of this part of Scripture. But after saying all that I have said, I feel as if I had only faintly touched the surface of the passage. I agree. There is something here which nothing but the light of eternity will ever fully reveal. And it only comes from the one who is the word. And if you are in Christ, keep your eyes upon Christ. And brethren, he is just the light we need as we walk in the darkness, isn't he? As we struggle with sin, as we struggle with remaining corruption, as we see the world around us, one thing we'll be most assured of is we are never without light. Christ is our light. Christ is the one who has shone in our hearts. Christ is the light who shines now. And we are thankful we can look to him as we make our way to that blessed celestial city. He is the blessed light. He is the blessed creator. And the sad thing is, man rejects him. <clears throat> Ryle says, would we know for one thing the exceeding sinfulness of sin? How vile man is to sin against the creator and to reject the redeemer. Let us often read these five verses of John's gospel. Let us mark what kind of being the redeemer of mankind must needs be. In order to provide eternal redemption for sinners, if no one less than the eternal God, the creator and preserver of all things, could take away the sin of the world, only he can do it. Sin must be a far more abominable thing in the sight of God than most men suppose. The right measure of sin's sinfulness is the dignity of him who came into the world to save sinners. If Christ is so great, then sin must indeed be sinful. Thanks be to God for our creator who redeems. And if you're an unbeliever here today, here is the light of the world in Christ. Here is the word who creates. Here is the creator whom you've trampled upon and sinned against. Here is the one uh, in whom, uh, because of your sin against him, you deserve everlasting damnation and everlasting death and everlasting darkness. But while there's still breath, believe upon Christ. Look to him by faith. Look to this light of the world. Look to the creator who is also the one who redeems. Don't reject him, but believe upon him and you shall have life in his name. For only in him is their life. Well, let us pray. Our God, we confess we truly do not worship you as we ought. We do not have a high of you as we should, especially um, when we consider that we have been the ones who are created and you're the one who created us. And then even further, as we consider the fact that we are undeserving of any sort of redemption because of our wickedness, and yet there is a Christ who saves. The one who creates is the one who saves. And so we are thankful for the new creation that we have in Jesus Christ, that he is in him. We are new creation. He has made a new creation. He has made the new heavens and new earth. He is bringing it in. And we're thankful as your kingdom advances, we do see uh, your light spread to the ends of the earth. Thank that Christ does shine as a light. We ask and pray that we would shine as a light as well. Uh, in this crooked and perverse generation, but that we would mainly speak and bear witness concerning the light. That Christ is the one who illumines, Christ is the one who reveals, Christ is the one who shines in the light of, uh, in the, in, uh, the, he is the light of men who shines in the darkness. 
And we are thankful that there is mercy and forgiveness in him. And so we ask and pray that we would be a people who worships you, a people who loves to praise your name, a people who fixes their eyes upon Christ as we make our way to heaven, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we also pray today, if there are any here today who do not know you, please save them. Please show them their sin. Please expose their sins. Please expose uh, their wickedness. Please illumine uh, their need. And please also show them their need for Christ and that they might look to him by faith and believe that he is the Son of God and believing in his name, they may have everlasting life. Thank you, O Christ, that you can do this. Thank you, O uh, eternal word, you can do this. Speak to your people, encourage your people today, and please speak and work in a way to save sinners. Thank you for all that you do. We ask and pray that we would honor and glorify you in all that we do. We pray these things in the name of Christ.